Hey everyone, it's Hamish from the Young Investors Podcast. Myself and Brandon are excited to bring you your weekly rundown of the latest business and investing news from around the world. A quick reminder before we get started, any advice provided by Brandon is general and does not consider your financial situation, needs or objectives, so consider whether it's appropriate for you. Brandon Vanderkolk is authorized to provide general financial product advice in Australia and is authorized representative number 130795 of Guideway Financial Services Proprietary Limited. AFSL number 420367. Please see the description box for Brandon's financial services guide. Past performance is not a reliable indication of future investment returns. But with that said, let's get into another episode of the Young Investors Podcast. All right, Hamish, there he is. Hello, hello, hello. on his coffee. Yep. <laughs> I, I've been now, um, mate. Yeah, I'm going well. I've been enjoying having just like little, I'm trying to like show it for, for people who are listening yeah. with, um, or watching with video. I'm having like these like little coffees now because I, I don't like drinking a lot of milk. So, and oh, really? You, and I've been drinking a lot of coffee recently. So if I was making like normal coffees, that'd just be like way too much milk. So yeah. How many been, coffees are you drinking a day? Uh, it's be bad. Honest. So it, it fluctuates a lot, but like it, it goes like, I'll go through periods where I'm having like one in the morning. That's like my lowest. I never have no coffee. It's always like one in the morning. You have a coffee at one in the morning? No, one coffee. One coffee. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, six at one a.m. No, um, I'll, I'll go. That, that's like the best I can possibly get is like one in the morning. At the moment, yeah. uh, it's like six to eight. Um, yeah, which is, six, which is which is bad. It's bad. But then it goes to a period where it just doesn't. More coffee just like doesn't do anything, and then it goes back down. So yeah, wow, <laughs> it's bad. That's I go that's I go through hectic. these like two week cycles. <laughs> Are you like yeah. a coffee connoisseur? Do you like your filtered coffee and that kind of stuff? Yeah, and yeah. Chemex a... and that kind of thing? Yeah, I, I actually, I'm not, I, I do still have a Chemex. I used to use it. I don't really use it anymore. I have a, right. a Breville um, espresso machine, which I, which I love. So, ah, George yeah, Clooney would be disappointed. Yeah, yeah. No, no, um, no, no $2 pods. Um, no. Yeah. No, it's actually <laughs> pretty cheap. If you're the, the coffee I get, I just get the Woolworths coffee. I'm, I, I do like getting special like specialty coffee beans sometimes but the woolies mm. coffee is like $12 a kilo so like as just a go-to bean um and it's a good coffee machine so it makes good coffee so right. um there you go yeah nice. yeah I'm, a, I'm at my peak coffee intake <laughs> <laughs> you're right That's on bad. the limit i um i don't know uh, i don't know anything about coffee because i uh, here's a fun fact i've never had a cup of coffee ever in my life what Wait, my never. 28 years of existence. Yeah, wait, I've had wait. a sip. I knew because I, oh. yeah, I've had a sip here and there. And sometimes I like I don't mind the smell when you walk into a cafe and it smells like coffee. But then mm. I drink, uh, I have a little sip of coffee, and I'm like, mm, yep, still don't like it. My yeah. problem is I don't like drinks that are bitter. Yeah, so there's something deep in my brain that says if I'm drinking a liquid and it's bitter, I don't like it. So mm. I don't, I don't even like beer. So I don't yeah. like uh, coffee. I don't like beer. I don't know what other bitter drinks there are out there, but I don't like any of them. That makes sense. I've got a sweet tooth. You do drink caffeine though, right? Like you drink like like Coke and that's yeah, what yeah, mean, so. yeah. Like my caffeine is usually just like Pepsi Max. <laughs> yeah, yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Um. But yeah. So there you go. Fun fact about me. Yeah. Um. Crazy. I'm very much in the mon- minority, I think, especially in Australia. Oh yeah, yeah. Australian coffee culture is um. Yeah, it's, it's, it's great. I remember when we, yeah, every time we go over to the US, it's always like I I have to go to like Starbucks because it's the only place you're, that has like you're a in reasonable, the US. You're like reasonable coffee. 
This is disgusting. <laughs> okay, I didn't do that. <laughs> Take it back. Make it again. <laughs> yeah, you did. I remember you slammed it back on the cup. Ca- you threw it in uh, the guy's face. Oh, and yeah. You slammed your cup back up. On- no. <laughs> and here's the I'm video. Sure get Hamish cancelled. <laughs> No, but um, but yeah, American Americans, uh, yeah, they haven't quite figured out how to make good coffee yet. Um, oh, I will there's say. a clip. I'm clipping that. I'm <laughs> going to use that against you sometime. Uh oh. <laughs> All right, Hamish. Right, what are we talking about today? Yeah, we've uh, yeah, we've got a nice uh, basket of uh, different pieces of news. I've got a bunch of things, bunch of uh, central bank and economic news that I've bundled together uh, as I've done a couple of times, just to so we don't spend too much time on each of them. Um, some news from Jamie Dimon. He's uh, he's he's selling a lot of stock. He's um, he's he's oh. dumping dumping shares. So we'll talk about that a little bit. Uh, we'll talk about uh, Disney uh, and their deal with uh, Comcast, who uh, they're kind of reaching an agreement around Hulu, the streaming service, which both of them own. Um, and what have you got? Uh, I'm going to be talking about Saudi Arabia um, jumping in and potentially hosting the 2034 Soccer World Cup. And right. also, my one of my favorite companies, SpaceX, um, has just won, uh, or and ULA has won some more Space Force rocket launches, which is interesting. Wow. So we'll talk about that as well. Awesome. Well, with that said, uh, today's episode is brought to you by Seeking Alpha, your one-stop shop for stock analysis, market data, and news. Access expert analysis and news for thousands of stocks. View buy, hold, and sell ratings from members, Wall Street analysts, and Seeking Alpha's own algorithm. Screen for stocks using a variety of fundamental and technical analysis metrics. Access 10 years of uh, financial data and company filings and manage your portfolio by tracking your investments with price alerts so you never miss a buying opportunity again. Click the link in the episode description or head directly to seekingalpha.me forward slash young investors to try Seeking Alpha free for seven days. uh, And you can also get a $50 off coupon uh, if it's your first time uh, signing up. So go check it out. And uh, yeah, as always, thanks to those who have uh, used that link when signing up and are supporting the podcast. Supporting the podcast. How is that for an intro? Six minutes ish. Some people they some people get a bit angry at us at the start yeah, of the episode because we, we talk <laughs> a little bit too long about random stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but with that said, let's uh, let's 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 keep this thing moving, Hamish. I feel under yep. pressure now. <laughs> yeah. I've got to keep keep this thing moving. <laughs> Um, let's talk about this economic central bank news. Yeah, there a, so there's fair fair few things that came out this week. Yeah, I feel yeah. like it was it was only like a couple of weeks ago. I feel like I did another. Uh, I compiled yeah. a bunch of economic news, and there's there's just more. It's it's uh there's always Here we stuff go again. There's always stuff coming out, and I guess that's that kind of happens if you're covering US, Australia, and sometimes the UK and Europe. Then there's you know there's always going to be something coming out. But um, we'll start. Uh, most of this news is out of the US, so we'll we'll start in the US. Um, uh, we got, uh, economic, uh, growth data out of the U S so the GDP, uh, gross domestic product, which measures the total value of, uh, goods and services produced. Uh, we got the quarterly figure for the third quarter, uh, GDP grew, uh, by 4.9% year over year adjusted for inflation, which is uh, a massive increase up from 2.1% in Q2. Um, yeah, 4.9%. Adjusted for inflation, which is, um, yeah. you know, means uh, I don't actually know specifically which figure they use, but I presume like headline figure. So that means nominal GDP growth was like 8%, which is crazy. That's hectic. Um, Man, the US is the new China. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and China's the new US. <laughs> yeah, not not quite. Uh, it does seem like it is just uh, going to be a single quarter of, uh, of uh, excess growth, but uh, it is the fastest quarterly rate. 
uh, since Q4 of 2021. Uh, 2021, of course, being a period of massive growth because it came after 2020 when the, there was actually a decline, when there was um, a, an actual kind of retraction. Yeah. Uh, most of the increase was driven by a 4% increase in consumer spending. So that accounted for uh, a little over half of the total growth. Consumer spending is a very um, large piece of, of GDP growth. Um, but it was also driven by growth in, in other important areas, uh, increased uh, company uh, inventories, so companies spending money, building up their inventories. Um, that contributed, um, uh, it was like 1.3 percentage points out of the 4.9%. Uh, domestic uh, investment surged 8.4%. So again, businesses um, in investing in, in the future of their companies, uh, that surged significantly. And then government spending and investment as well also is a part of the total GDP. Uh, that was up 4.6% year over year. So um, yeah, just great. Pretty much strong yeah. growth across the board. Um, government spending more, businesses are spending more, businesses increasing their inventories. And then most importantly, consumers kind of went crazy uh, towards the end of the American summer. Um, <laughs> uh, well, mm-hmm. through the American summer, I should say. I don't know. It's a, it's a good sign, I guess. It's a good sign considering what we've been dealing with the last couple of years. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah certainly. Um, Certainly, yeah, it, it's kind of funny, right? Because like on one hand, it's like, yeah, it's good. They're growing. But then it's also, well, the economy is still hot. So it's like, is the Fed then going to raise rates? Yeah, it's like, it's funny. It's like good news is bad news now. And bad news is yeah. good news. It's like, oh, they grew slowly. Good. The Fed's not going to raise. It's it's yeah. like, it's so weird how expectations are kind of um, kind of work in that way. Um, mm. But yeah, it, it is. A good point. It, it is certainly um, good to see that the economy is obviously healthy. It's good that it didn't retract. Um, that's, that's for sure. Um, uh, but yeah, as I mentioned, uh, growth was kind of somewhat of uh, an anomaly in Q3, uh, growth is expected to slow back down to, uh, 1.2%, uh, for Q4 for next quarter. Um, right. So, okay. uh, which is, which is pretty much where growth has been very, very slow once you're accounting for, for inflation. Right. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Um, so that's the kind of the first piece of news I wanted to start with. And then kind of following on from that and pretty much kind of related to that, uh, we got the Fed decision um, for what they're going to do with Ooh. interest rates, which, of course, a big part of their decision is, you know, how hot is the economy? Uh, what's the jobs market like? What's inflation like? Um, and so with the economy growing really strong and inflation still there and jobs market being strong, there was a lot of people who thought that the Fed uh, may uh, return to rate hikes. Um, they've kind of been pausing for a little while. Um, but they didn't. Um, they continued to right. to keep their rates steady at the range of five point two five to five point five percent. So right. uh, because inflation there. the last few months has been on a little kickback. It went down to three percent, yep. and it's gone back up to where is it now? I think it's like at three point seven. Is that right? Some somewhere around there. Yeah. It has been a bit stubborn. So yeah, there there was a lot of eyes on what the Fed was going to do. Yeah. And especially with what you are talking about before, um, with the economy just on a bit of a tear and also with all the labor numbers um, being very strong, a yep. lot of people were almost expecting that the Fed might go one level higher and raise rates again. But yeah, mm. there you go. They've just decided to hold steady and see what happens for the time being. Yeah. Yeah. I actually didn't grab the inflation data. I think they actually were released over the last week as well, oh, okay. if I'm not mistaken. You keep so talking, I'll have I'll, a look. Yeah, I'll keep talking. You pull you pull that up and we can um look at that at the same time as um as the Fed decision. Yeah, there was just so much economic news. I can't believe I just I missed that one, but there was so many little pieces. Um 
So, uh, yeah, so we've got a kind of a quote from uh, Jerome Powell, the head of the Fed, um, as usual. He said, the process of getting inflation sustainably down to 2% has a long way to go. Uh, Fed Chair Jerome Powell said in remarks at a news conference, he stressed that the central bank hadn't made any decisions yet for its December meeting, saying that, quote, the committee will always do what it thinks is appropriate at the time. Um, so they, again, they're not giving any clues as to what they're going to do in December, which of course will be the last rate uh, meeting for the year. Um, although, um, Powell has been saying for quite some time that they would like to do one more hike this year. Um, so there's a chance that they hike. Um, of course there's a chance they continue to hold rate steady, but, um, it wouldn't be surprising. I think if, if there was a little 25 basis point hike, um, mm. hike in, in the, in the, in the last month. I got your number for you, Hamish. It mm-hmm. remained at 3.7 right. in September. Okay. Yeah. The July was 3.2. Yeah, just headline. 3.2, then it jumped 3.7, and it's remained at 3.7. Right. Okay. For cool. headline. Yeah. There you go. So nothing too exciting. Nothing, uh, nothing nah. too crazy. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's starting to it's, – it's getting down there. Um, but, yeah, as we've kind of mentioned – I mean, it's, it's, it's – yeah, it's like it's down it's, – it's come down, obviously, a long, long way. But it's still just – Annoyingly above where it needs to be. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, like that, just it's that little, last bit, just a little bit. It's like, do we just need to get that last little bit? Yeah, but that's all right. That Hopefully, last bit yeah. is very hard, very, very yeah. hard to get down. Um, yeah. Especially because inflation has been high for so long, so there is some entrenched kind of expectation of higher inflation, and that just keeps people spending a little bit more than they mm. they might usually. It's very psychological, um, you know, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. It's like Japan, Japan had the opposite, right? They had deflation for so long that people expected prices to go down, so they would hold off their spending because they were going to get it cheaper next year. Yeah, yeah. it's just a it's a bit of a psychological cycle as well. Inflation and deflation. That's yeah. another aspect to think about. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so um, so the Fed holding rates steady. Um, they've held rates steady since July now. So um, yeah, we're in November. So it's it's you know it's been mm. quite some time, and as a result of that. Um, we've seen short-term U.S. government bond rates pretty much just be flat since then. So the Fed has pretty right. direct control over short-term government bond rates. Um, they pretty much just sit slightly um, above the federal funds rate, which is what the, the Fed changes. Uh, but the Fed doesn't directly control um, long interest rates. Um, hmm. And those rates have been rising a lot recently. Um, so the 10-year, for example, and this is related to a story that I'm going to talk about in a second, uh, the 10-year bond rate uh, surged from 3% uh, in April to 5%, which might not seem like a, a huge amount, but it means that bond prices are down about 15% this year. And since 2020 now, long bond rates are down 50%, which is kind of crazy. How crazy is that? Yeah. yeah. Um, when you consider a bond or a United States treasury bond, you know, what, what do you hear about US treasury bonds? What do you, what do you, what, how do people describe them? They're super safe. safe. They're stable. Um, they're for risk-averse investors. And yeah, if they bought long bonds in what 2020, they're staring down the barrel of a 50% loss on paper, of course, because yes. you don't have to sell your bonds. You can no. just wait it out and let them hit their maturity. Um, yeah. But yeah, if you wanted to uh, trade them, you're looking at a uh, at taking a 50% loss. Yeah, Hectic. but re- even if they don't sell them, they're sitting on fixed income of 0.5% for a yeah, decade, yeah. two decades, yeah. three decades, which is, you know, why the bond prices have gone down so much. You're kind of locked yeah. into this terrible, uh, this, this terrible deal while, and you, you know, there's a massive opportunity cost that, that comes with that. True. Um, yeah. 
And so, but, but yeah, it's a, yeah. So it's a, it, it's been a, it's been a crazy market, especially recently though. Uh, long bonds have been surging recently. Um, and that really comes down to kind of different supply and demand um, changes that, that happen on long bonds. It's not directly controlled by the Fed. And, and part of that is the U.S.'s debt problem, right? So the, the U.S. has $33 trillion in debt. Uh, they have a $1.4 trillion deficit. So every single year, not only do they have a huge debt pile that kind of rolls over, every single year they're spending more money or they're still spending more money than they're collecting in tax revenue. So they constantly need to sell new bonds just to function, right? So they're, just, they're constantly yeah. writing new bonds. And that means that supply is just outpacing demand and bond yields rise. Um, mm. And that has real consequences, right? Because then it pushes up yields on everything. It pushes up corporate debt. It pushes up mortgages. Um, the 30-year fixed rate mortgage in the US just hit 8%. Um, so even though the Fed isn't raising rates, stuff is getting more, dual debt, let's say, is getting more expensive uh, across the board for households, for the government, for, for, for businesses. Um, and this week, we got an update around this problem specifically. So the Treasury Department, which is responsible for issuing and, and selling bonds, uh, announced plans to accelerate the size of its bond auctions, of its bond selling, to handle its debt load and uh, financing costs. So this week they announced we're actually we are actually going to be increasing the amount um, that we're needing to sell. So uh, the Treasury will auction 112 billion dollars uh, in debt next week to refund 102 billion dollars of notes that are maturing on November 15 raising more than $9 billion in extra funds. So, so you've got $102 right. billion that's rolling off. So not only are they just replacing old debt with new debt, which is you know one problem in of itself, but they're having to also increase the amount that they're replacing it with, which is the, the accelerating right. debt problem. It's, you know, it's one thing to just you know, let your debt expire and then replace it with new debt. That's, like a, that's you know, one problem. You know, debt that was at a low interest rate that's now going on to a higher interest rate. But the actual mm. dollar amount as well is also going up, um, which Hectic. is a which is a yeah a, a part of the reason why um, yields are, are, are rising. Um, so specifically, the Treasury expects uh, the increase for sizes uh, for for two and five year notes to be three billion a month, uh, three year notes by two billion a month, uh, seven year notes by one billion a month. Uh, so by the end of January, auction sizes will show respective increases of nine billion, nine billion, six billion, and three billion across the different. Uh, debt uh, uh, issuances. Um, wow. Which is, um, which is you are, you're talking about you know, big numbers. Um, it actually mm. means in Q1 of 2024, uh, the US government will need to borrow $816 billion, which means, and that's a recurring. So that means for the mm. first time, uh, they've passed the $800 billion mark every quarter in new debt, um, which is which is an astounding Whoa. is an astounding figure. Um, um, it's over three billion dollars, uh, three trillion. Sorry, three trillion with a T a year. Um, Holy so, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's enough. Uh, it's a massive. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it is kind of funny because we are talking to big numbers, so they're, they're obviously going to be big regardless of whether it's good or bad. But um, but yeah, I can I can firmly say that that's quite bad. <laughs> yeah. um, wow. So yeah, um, how how the how the government plans to deal with this? I I don't really know. Um, you know, potentially they'll raise taxes or cut spending. Um, uh, but we'll just have to see. Uh, yeah, the biggest problem I think, or the the short term problem is they still have this deficit. So, um, you know, before we even think about the or they yeah, get your Ray the, Dalio hat on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Before you even think about the thirty three trillion in debt, like let's assume that that's fine. We could just you know just leave that there. 
they they can't be continuing to spend more than they're collecting in tax revenue. So how they decide to fix that, uh, I don't know. But that's why yields are rising. It's why mortgage rates are going up. It's why corporate debt's going up. Um, and it's also potentially why the stock market has been falling recently. Um, yields on stocks also kind of go up. So like the return people demand on stocks goes up. And for that to happen, prices need to come down a little bit. Mm. Yeah, what do they do about it, Hamish? Because I guess they've either got, <clears throat> like the fundamental problem here is that they run a massive deficit. Yes. So they 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 have to keep plugging the hole with debt. So yeah. they, the, the number one thing they have to do is fix the deficit. They yep. have to try and aim for a surplus. Yep. Which means they have, they have to increase their income. Yep. And they do that by raising taxes or they have to cut their spending. Yep. And they cut their yep. spending on, you know, or, infrastructure or, yeah. Or the economy grows and therefore taxes increase because businesses are producing more, which is over yeah. time how uh, the government deals with this problem. Yeah. Um, but a the lot of people are- yeah, yeah, exactly, the productivity. But the question is, you know, can they grow their way out of this problem? Maybe not. Maybe this is a situation where expenses kind of ran up too fast and they do need to come off or, or taxes need to go up, which is the, the other way that- the government has historically dealt with this, right? Um, you see a lot of people campaigning Joe, for that, you know, increasing taxes on the rich, uh, increasing taxes on, you know, stock um, options and that sort of thing, um, capital gains uh, or, or share buybacks. There's all of these the, these different ways that um, mm. that money can be can be found. Joe Biden will be standing up. Well, if you if you base if you look at our last quarter of economic growth, <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're fine. Four point nine percent outpacing inflation, adjusted for inflation. He, he, he pulls a Musk. Uh, we'll do fifty percent growth indefinitely. <laughs> <laughs> indefinitely, yeah, exactly. Oh dear, oh dear. Yeah, it's um, it's tricky. Yeah. Just let's let's put Ray Dalio in the in the presidential uh position and see what he can do just leave it up to him i say yeah yeah i reckon that's that's the easiest solution i it would be interesting to see like how that like in an alternate reality like if that happened what would how would the economy look if like Mm. because he you know he has a lot to say about how things should be done yeah but you don't really know if you know how it would actually play out if those things were implemented. Well, um, I think it'll work. I mean, the stuff he says, obviously, it makes sense. He knows what he's talking about. I think the thing that Ray would struggle with is is being political about it all. Because, mm. um, I mean, at the end of the day, what what is what's his number one takeaway? His number one point to fix the problem is to increase your productivity. And really what increasing your productivity is, is saying to everybody, we need to work harder. <laughs> Like that, we, we need, with the same resources, we need to do more. Yeah, true. Um, yeah, true. so that that would be interesting. His messaging around telling people that they just need to work harder. <laughs> yeah, but if we all work harder good. together, I know you're struggling. Yeah, nah. Yeah. I reckon he'd do a good job as president. Economically, he'd do very well. I don't know about like yeah. socially. Yeah, who knows about yeah. other? I've, I don't really yeah. know what he thinks about all the other things. So yeah. yeah. I'd vote for him still. I love the guy. Mm. What a guy. What a guy. Ray Dalio. What a guy. What a guy. All right. Um, um, what else you got? Yeah, that's that's it for economics news. Uh, or a couple oh, of okay. things I'll just give one line on. Uh, Bank of England uh, held their rates steady, so they decided not to increase. Uh, really? Eurozone inflation grew slower than expected, um, which is obviously good news. But that's it. Uh, I won't. Only 10%. 
Yeah. They were expecting 19 and it was 18.9. Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's slower than expected inflation. Yeah. Uh, um, slower that's, rates. Yeah. That's, uh, that, that, that's all I've got. That's, that's, my, uh, that's my economic news. That's all you've got. Yeah, that's it. I would have thought you'd have more, mate. How, how we do? How long was that? That felt really long. No, that was good. It was like fifteen minutes. <laughs> okay. Well, there was a lot to talk about in there. Yeah, that was a good discussion. That was a good discussion. There's been a lot going. Um, on. all right. Well, well, let me um let me talk about. We'll we'll go from the dense and um, complex world of economics and central banks to soccer. The, the fun right, world of so, soccer. <laughs> so, sounds good. Yeah. Um. I found this interesting. I didn't realize that the uh, soccer World Cup <clears throat> is much the same as uh, it's in much the same situation as the Olympics. You know how just no one wants to host the Olympics anymore because it's just too yeah. expensive, doesn't mm. generate enough revenue. I didn't realize the soccer World Cup's like kind of in the same boat. I guess oh. it makes sense, but I just I don't know. There's just so many. Like I think the mm. Olympics struggles because. At the end of the day, like no one cares. <laughs> yeah. It's like no, no one's no one's turning on the TV every weekend to watch swimming or to watch yeah hundred meter sprinting, but they are turning on the TV to watch Arsenal or to mm. watch Manchester United or something like that. I guess there's just like there's probably more infrastructure, or definitely more infrastructure involved in in the Olympics. I would imagine, like yeah, may, maybe I a city would. city city wouldn't yeah. have the variety of um, arenas that they need. Whereas maybe yeah. a place has the the soccer pitches, but then I guess you still need a number of places to 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 allow teams yeah. to play at the same time, right? So I yeah. guess it is still just this big potential um, infrastructure um, project yeah. for a lot of places. Yeah, exactly. Exactly right. Um, but yeah, sorry, back to the story. The story is that Saudi Arabia looks set to host the 2034 World Cup after the only other country to have shown an interest in hosting, which was Australia, um, made a last minute decision not to bid. Uh, the quote here is, we've reached the conclusion uh, not to do so for the 2034 competition. A statement from Football Australia said Tuesday, just hours before FIFA's deadline for declarations of interest. Mm. It puts Saudi Arabia on track to host the global soccer tournament uh, a decade from now, a move that's likely to be seen as highly controversial. Mm. Uh, it would also make it... Uh, only only the second Arab Gulf country to ever host the World Cup after Qatar did so in 2022. And and for context as to what we were talking about earlier, um, how much money are we looking at here? Um, so a couple of World Cups ago, it was in Brazil. Um, they spent $15 billion. Um, Then Russia had it in 2018. They spent $11.6 billion. <laughs> But this is where it gets a little bit nuts. Qatar... Spent fifteen times more. They spent two hundred and twenty billion dollars. Wow! All in two hundred twenty billion dollars for the soccer world cup. Was Gee, it this year or last year? I can't that's remember. That's crazy. Last year. Last year. Yeah. Last um, year. Yeah. Yeah. That is um, insane. Jeez. So they have mm. to. They had to build a whole city. Like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. But I. Th I think it's going to be. Um, it's going to be much the same for Saudi Arabia. They're going to have right. to do similar kind of investment. Um, you know, Brazil, they've, they've, you know, everyone plays soccer in Brazil. I don't know about Russia, but they must have the facilities. But I, I feel so, like yeah. Saudi Arabia are going to dump a lot of money into it. Mm. Um, 
And obviously, from a social standpoint, the selection of Qatar as host angered many human rights activists who accused the state of yeah. uh, abusing migrant workers, endangering the lives of the LGBT community, and stifling free speech. Qatar pushed back by insisting that everyone was welcome in the country and denying reports that thousands of workers had died building the stadiums, but it said that it was entitled to set its own laws. Uh, yeah. Some fans were also frustrated at the location as the World Cup took place in the winter <clears throat> due to the Gulf region's soaring summer temperatures. Mm. Uh, the 2030 FIFA World Cup, meanwhile, will be hosted by Morocco, Spain, and Portugal, with three opening matches. Uh, with three opening matches to be played in South America. Right. Saudi Arabia is criticised for its well-documented human rights violations, uh, abuses of uh, women's rights, and criminalisation of homosexuality. Amnesty International reported that Saudi Arabia in 2022 oversaw the highest number of yearly executions in 30 years. Wowee, with 196 people killed. I did not know that. Um, In response to an interview question about the kingdom's human rights abuses, Saudi Crown Prince Maha... Okay, this is getting definitely into more of the social context more than the economic context, but I'll, I'll run with it anyway. Saudi Crown Prince, uh, sorry, Saudi Crown Prince, even Mohammed bin Salman said there are bad laws in the country he does not like, but that he cannot interfere with the judiciary. <laughs> Saudi observers and rights activists have rejected that assertion. The kingdom's multi-billion-dollar investment into sports and international sports events of the last few years, parts of its Vision 2030 project aimed at diversifying its economy away from oil, <clears throat> has been described as sports washing by human rights groups. This is more of the interesting stuff I wanted to talk about. To that, the Saudi leader said he doesn't care and is happy to continue sports washing if it increases his country's GDP. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, between This is interesting. Between early 2021 and June of 2023, the kingdom spent $6.1 billion on sports investments and analysis by The Guardian found. So this is an interesting play. I think it's going to cost Saudi Arabia a lot of money to get themselves ready, but it's interesting that it fits into their bigger picture of um, getting themselves away from oil. And we've seen this Mm. as well. I don't know if you follow any uh, YouTube channels at the moment that I follow. I've been talking about their massive investment building like these new mega projects like the line oh, yeah. and there's like a, a like a ski field high-end resort and there's like a yeah. shipping on on the water shipping city that they're building with massive ports there's like so many mega projects happening in Saudi yeah so. they they have so much money <laughs> it's like not even it's we you know we talk about the richest people you look at the richest people in the world list and it's all mm. just like kind of Americans and that sort of thing um, but like if some of these guys were on those lists, um, oh, yeah. like if, if we, there was actual detailed, like accounting of their finances, <laughs> some yeah. of these, some of these, uh, some of these leaders would be, um, would be blowing that, those lists out of Cha-ching. the water. So yeah. Yeah. Well, what is it? They just made, they made a, a, a heap of money obviously with oil and then they built yeah. a, a, an enormous sovereign wealth fund. Um, and now they've just got so much money in that sovereign wealth fund that they can just fund whatever. And this is the interesting thing. It's like everybody was criticizing, saying, oh, these mega projects are never going to happen. This is just advertising. It's just Saudi trying to get their name out there. You know, Saudi Arabia, wow. And then the line's never going to happen. But the thing is, is that they've got the money sitting in their sovereign wealth fund and they are spending it. And this stuff is being built like who knows if it makes its way through to completion or whether plans get scaled back or anything 
but they have the money and they are spending it. So I think they are really dead serious about this 2030 vision of, uh, of becoming a tourism-based economy, uh, more so than oil. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, that project is insane. Um, mm. You're talking about that big like wall that that yeah, glass yeah. wall that they. <laughs> yeah, it just looks ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, um, and it's huge. Like it's 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 enormous. I can't remember how long it is. Right. Um, yeah. Let's have a look. Yeah, I the don't know. Line Saudi Arabia length. It yeah. is going to be. <laughs> this is the proposal. The line is planned to be 170 kilometers long. <laughs> that's crazy. Like, that's, how long does that take to build? That's got to take a long oh, time, right? Multi generation, like, probably, yeah. It's got to take many generations, I would say, if they, if they that, actually do what they say they're going to do. That must be what like, Egypt used to be like. Like,. <laughs> Yeah, like just doing these incredible projects, which at the time took like decades or like even a century Mm. to complete. Uh, But I guess no, no, I guess no one knew they were doing it. Like we all get to see because we've got the internet and everything. We get to see, but um, back then I guess they probably just yeah, no one else kind of knew. But but it is funny to see these crazy projects that don't really mean anything. Like they're kind of pointless. They're in a, mm. you know, it's just in the desert. This like, you know, it, it, all some of these sky rises you see, like they just look like it's just so ridiculous. Mm. Um, but it is, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's strange. Yeah. Strange. It's very odd. It's like building a skyscraper, except then the skyscraper's width is 170 kilometers. <laughs> it just keeps going. It's I reckon insane. that was the pitch. That was the pitch. So imagine a big, tall building, but sideways. So- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah, there's there's quite a few. What's it called? Yeah. Neom. Yeah, there's some um, there's, there's some great videos on on the projects that they've done. Some of the failed projects that they've done, like they right. keep building. How many? They keep building like little islands and off the coast. Like they dig up sand oh, okay. and, fr- from the ocean and then build these islands. And um, mm. yeah, there's a, there's a whole bunch of like uh, like. Um, projects that they just haven't finished Uh, right okay yeah Mm. yeah it's hectic this yeah it's very interesting i mean i just i i like kind of crazy architecture and futuristic building and and that i don't know it's just like a weird niche that i like so i Mm. i actually find this stuff super interesting and i actually hope they do do it but my economic brain says "Mm, chances are slim or if they do it's gonna be it's gonna have to be under one leader so there's no political cancelling and then reinstating yeah. and cancelling and reinstating. It's going to have to be under like one or two leaders that really want to do it. And um, it's going to take a lot of money. <clears throat> yep. Yep. Pretty much. Yeah. Anyway. So yeah, b- back to it. Um, so Saudi Arabia is going to host the 2034 Soccer World Cup. Cool. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, yes. Australia's uh, been, uh, Australia's yeah, been backing out of, uh, out of project. We, we backed out of the Commonwealth Games as well, I think. Right. Did we? Um, yeah, I think uh, I think Melbourne was going to have the Commonwealth Games, and then uh, I think we've uh, we've we've backed out of that. So oh. yeah, maybe Australia's been a, trying to be a little bit prudent with um with their big spending projects, long maybe yeah. cut back some on some of these things. Yeah, I love this. Uh, sorry, back to the Saudi stuff. I love mm. this quote. I mean, like it's this Vision Twenty Thirty has been described as sports washing, and then the guy's just like, I don't care. It's going to increase my GDP. <laughs> Deal Great. with it. Yeah. 
Mm. Oh dear. Anyway, that's that's all I got to talk about for Saudi Arabia. Nice. Uh, Here we go. Yeah, I'd I'd quite like to go to Saudi Arabia. I think it would be an interesting place to to go and experience. But I go. I, mm. I like to travel because I want to see like what it's actually like. Because especially places yeah. where you hear a lot of things, like we yeah. hear about these human rightsy things with Saudi Arabia. We hear about the grand vision. I'd like to actually just go and have a look for myself. I mean, granted, of course, you're a tourist. You're not probably not going to actually see it, but it'd just be interesting to go. I think. Yeah, it, it it would be interesting to go like Dubai or something and see some of these 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 massive cities that they've built like in the in the middle of nowhere. Basically, I think it'd be mm. interesting to see. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, I'm not sure. I haven't thought about it too much. All right, <clears throat> well there we go. Moving on. Um, what do you got to talk about? Hamish? Something I have thought a lot about. <laughs> Disney uh, and Comcast. Very, very specifically, yeah, um, yeah. It's uh, we, we, it's that time again where we can. Uh, the question is is being raised. Um, how much will Disney pay Comcast for the final share of Hulu? Which um, I'll get into kind of the details. Um, but uh, Hulu, of course, is uh, one of the most successful streaming services in the US. Forty eight million subscribers. They have shows from Fox, ABC, um, heaps of originals. The Bear, Only Murders in the Building. Both really good um, shows. Would highly recommend. Um, I haven't watched all of the bear actually, but um, I watched one episode and it was pretty good. Uh, and then they also have a live TV uh, uh, add-on. Um, and unlike most streamers, they're profitable, um, which is <laughs> which is something you know something businesses do sometimes. They uh, reach profitability, um, and <laughs> Hulu is is one of them. Um, but uh, Disney and Comcast have uh, both owned a share of Hulu for for some well, for the last few years. Um, and, um, I'll, I'll get into the details of kind of what the news is, but, uh, I first want to kind of go through maybe a little quick history of, of Hulu, um, because it's, it's, it's a crazy history. Um, like this thing has been owned by pretty much everybody. Like anybody in media has like had their, their fingers on Hulu (laughs) at some point. It's just a crazy mess. And along the way, you'll kind of see how much of a mess the, just the overall media industry is with acquisitions here, mergers there, transfer this, yeah. spin-off here, IPO here. It consolidation, is mate. Consolidation. Con- con- that's right. Consolidation. That's the that's the, that's the buzz phrase. Yeah. Um so uh so Hulu was founded in 2007 actually. So it's been around for a really really long time. Uh, it's actually the same year that uh, Netflix launched its um streaming service. So they were both kind of launched at the same time. Uh, and it started as a joint venture between a couple of big media companies. You had News Corp, uh, uh, you have NBC Universal, uh, and then you have Providence Equity, which is a, a, a private equity uh, company that also uh, wanted to kind of get in on the deal. So it just started as a joint venture. A couple of couple of media right. companies saying, "Hey, look, this streaming couple of thing." Mates. <laughs> yeah, a couple of mates. Yeah, <laughs> saying, you know what, this streaming thing might might be a thing in the future. So let's you know put a little bit of capital to work. None of us has to kind of fully go in on it and take all of the risk. We'll all kind of, we'll kind of, uh, we'll raise it together. We'll raise mm. this Hulu baby together. Um, yeah. So it started out News Corp, uh, NBC, Universal in 2009. So a couple of years later, uh, the Walt Disney Company um, got involved. Uh, they weren't a shareholder at the time, but they um, started to offer some of their content on the platform and started to um, get a little bit more involved. It was like Disney was kind of, you know, peeking over the fence, being like, "Hang on." What's what's News Corp and NBC doing over there? I want yes. I want involved in some of that. Yeah. Someone barbecuing? 
<laughs> exactly. Exactly. The nosy neighbor go over and knock yeah. like, oh, you cooking up a barbecue. <laughs> Hoping for an invite. Um, yeah. So, uh, so, so Disney got involved uh, a little bit in 2009. Then in 2010, the companies, the media companies decided, uh, let's, let's uh, do an IPO for Hulu. Uh, it never actually happened, but they, they kind of planned to, to make it, make the company uh, go public. Um, I skipped a bunch of things. So it was really, uh, convoluted. Um, but there was a few different, uh, ownership things that happened. Uh, then in 2016, uh, the next big kind of, uh, moment was Time Warner, uh, acquired a 10% stake Time Warner, which later became Warner Media and now Warner Brothers Discovery. <laughs> so between 2016 and now it's gone through three different structure changes. So, um, <laughs> so it's going to be kind of confusing, but it was Time Warner at the time. They took a, a 10% stake. So again, as I said, another media company goes, what's, what's, what's going on? Let's, uh, mm. let's, let's kind of get involved in this. Then uh, in 2019, uh, Disney, of course, merged with 21st Century Fox. It was an enormous deal. Uh, we, we've, we've spoken about it. Um, everyone kind of knows about it. 21st Century Fox, which, of course, was previously owned by News Corp, which meant, as a part of the deal, uh, Disney got a 60% stake in Hulu. So that's Disney for the first time getting involved directly in owning um, Hulu. Um, so now you have Disney owning 60%. Uh, you have NBC, um, which owned, uh, uh, I think it was uh, 30%, and then Warner Media, um, so it's gone from Time Warner to Warner Media now, <laughs> uh, had its 10% stake. Right. Um, then in 2019, so later that year, <laughs> it's still going, later that year, Warner Media said, we're done. We're done with Hulu. Uh, and they actually sold the 10% back to the company. Um, so right. it's kind of split evenly between Disney and NBC which left uh, the final owners as uh, Disney with a 67% stake and NBC Universal with a 33% stake. NBC, which uh, was previously owned by General Electric, is now owned by Comcast, um, I believe. Um, right. Yeah, it's okay. definitely now owned by Comcast. I was just trying to think if previously it was General Electric. Yeah, General yeah. Electric. Um, uh, <laughs> and I, I just wrote down here... Being an investment banker for media companies must be an absolute nightmare. I mean, there's co-owned <laughs> assets, companies within companies within companies. Do you remember that um, Remember that scene for the big short, the CDO scene, where he's explaining yeah. the CDOs and he goes, CDO A has parts of CDO B and CDO B has parts of CDO A and both CDO A and CDO B are within CDO C. We call that CDO squared. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and that's, that must be exactly what it's like trying to deal with all of these, all of these assets. Um, yeah, it's. It, I feel like uh, the investment bankers they're like, they're they're licking their lips because they're like, oh, we get, there's some fees coming up here. <laughs> yeah, it prob- there's probably the so more much companies work. involved, yeah. the better. Yeah, so much more work, like so yeah. much um, untangling. That's uh, I'm sure getting billed at a very very high rate. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's true. But I can just imagine being like, oh, no, not another deal. <laughs> like, <laughs> with the guy who's actually got to go through all of this. Um, like, I wanted to retire this year. I guess that's not happening. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Take another year of my life. Um, yeah. And that's actually kind of true. I mean, a lot of these deals do just take a long time. Like, they take multiple mm. years because they are just so complicated. Um, but that does mm. bring us to the news um, this week. Uh, so ever since uh, gaining majority share of Hulu, Disney has been looking to buy the remaining 33% uh, so that they can control the full service. This has been a plan since 2019 when they merged with 21st Century Fox. Um, and they're now in 
uh, negotiations. Um, and they actually made an agreement back in 2019. So when the acquisition was made, um, there was kind of a deal between um, the, the the two companies um, that said that Disney would ultimately be um, be buying the remaining 33% stake. Um, they, they kind of left the negotiations for, they like pushed it out into the future, but they said, yes, we'll agree that we're going to come back to the table and, and, and negotiate. Uh, and at the time, uh, they basically just set a minimum price, uh, purchase price, which was nine, about $9 billion for the 33% stake, um, mm. which they kind of um, set back then. Um, it, it's actually funny. The, the actual purchase price is also now um, 500. This is just a side note. It's also $500 million uh, less than they previously agreed because Comcast, which owns a share in Hulu, they had some obligations to make investments in Hulu. Um, they just didn't pay $500 million to Disney. <laughs> oh. like, so uh, the deal, yeah, it's, it's just a side note that Comcast just decided not to like, you, you know, some people try and like, they, they forget to pay parking fines. Like imagine forgetting to pay or intentionally not paying $500 million. Um, Jeez. Which, uh, were we, were we supposed to pay? Hang on. Frank, were we supposed to, when was that due? <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. Crazy. Yeah. I, I don't think it was an accident. I think it was, um. No. I think it was an intentional move to, yeah. to retain yeah. $500 million. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, but I just thought that was a funny side note to this story. It's like the, the, <laughs> the numbers we're talking are insane. And like, I love how that's just, that was just like a footnote in like the story. It's like, oh yeah, they just, they, they didn't pay $500 million. Asterisk. The missing 500 million. Yeah. We held on to that. <laughs> yeah. 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 We found it. We found it. You can thank us later shareholders. Yeah. Um, Hectic. So, so yeah, so now they're kind of at the negotiation table. You've got Disney, which is using JP Morgan to determine the value of Hulu. Comcast is using Morgan Stanley. So they both have their own investment banks that uh, run the numbers, go through, untangle everything, work out what they think it's worth. Then they both come back to the table. They show each other what their appraisals are. And if the two sides' valuations are outside of 10%, so if there's a, big, a 10% differential or more, then they have to get they go to the next stage, which is they need a third appraiser, um, like a third kind of mediator, I guess, in the middle middleman that then ultimately decides uh, the price because this is because they've already got an agreement to make this sale. So um, right. that's basically what we'll see. Uh, I think it's uh, the f- 1st of December, I think, is when they both come and, and kind of show, I think, I might get that wrong, but um, right. where they'll, they'll show each other the valuation and... Um, Hopefully it's within ten percent of each other, and then they can do some further negotiation and, and reach a reach a sale price. But that's that's happening. Um, mm. Disney will be nice. making that purchase. Um, it's obviously great for Disney. It means that they can um, make some deals become a lot easier for them to make with with complete hundred percent control. Um, although it is going to be a bit of a squeeze on them. Um, they only have eleven billion in cash, and the sale price is expected to be about nine billion. So it's almost all their cash. Uh, and they already have forty-seven billion uh, in debt from the the mostly from the twenty-first century merger. Um, yeah. So yeah, they're in a you know they're getting squeezed. They have obviously an enormous amount of assets now. They have this huge. Mm. They're so much bigger than they were before the twenty-first century deal. Um, they have some great streaming services that they're building, but yeah, financially they've they've kind of pushed themselves like right to the edge in terms of what they can afford. Um, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So, yeah. One thing um, you mentioned before, sorry, just going back, you mentioned before how long some of these deals can take to get through. Mm. I actually looked at um, 
I was just in the background looking at when Disney first or when Bob Iger first started discussing with Murdoch um, the <clears throat> idea of a 21st century Fox acquisition. Hmm. And it was in uh, August of 2017. Right. And then the official acquisition date was uh, March the 20th, 2019. Hmm. So quite years. quite a while away. And then that but that's not even the thing. That's like just when they shake it. That's when it's official. But then you actually have to integrate the companies into one another, which took Disney another few quarters uh, at least to actually get um when they talk about, you know, working on the consolidation of 21st century or the merger of 21st like they're still trying to slot it into their business. Yeah. Um but yeah, it can take a while. It can take a while. Yeah. That's anyway, I thought that was interesting. I just can't even fathom how they even do that. Like just like the logistics un- of it. Yeah, just the logistics yeah. of like f- the files, just everything. Employees, files, employees, company yeah. structures. Like obviously, yeah. it's not just like you're not just moving one thing Goals. over. It, a lot of it is you know integrating into Disney's business, so people yeah. get fired, new people are hired. You know, what, yeah. you have maybe now you have two managers that will be fighting for the same position. You know, it's kind of consolidated yeah. into what it, it would just be. I just can't fathom how complex some of these, you know, 50, 60 billion dollar deals are. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Pretty hectic. It'd be hard, especially being like working for Murdoch and 21st Century Fox and you've got your goals. You you know what your company is working towards for the year. You know, you're trying to get this out at this date. You're working towards this next year and that. And then all of a sudden you've got to try and Disney comes in and says, actually, we're working towards this and we don't want you to do that, but we do want you to keep doing this. And it's just like, oh, what, what am I like? Yeah. What am I doing? Yeah, it'd be yeah. hard. Like, obviously, if you're just a ground level worker, your job probably wouldn't change very much. But yeah, actually being one of the higher ups and figuring that out, that would be difficult. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you could be working towards plans for multiple years and then all of a sudden it's just kind of upended. So yeah, um, tricky. So so yeah, there, there you go. go. That's the, it's the latest saga in the uh, the complex media media landscape. It's uh, uh, Hulu. It, it just made me laugh going looking looking through the history. Yeah. It's like oh, this used to be this, and then it turned into that, and then it turned into that, and then it was spun off into this and bought by them. And it's just like <laughs> what what is going on? And it's landed um, with Disney. Yeah, it's it's kind of um, yeah, it's a it's a crazy landscape. Everyone's just shuffling assets around and hopefully getting the right mix. <laughs> I'm waiting for the arc the uh, of when uh, Disney fully acquire Hulu and then in three years it's underperforming and Comcast buy back in. <laughs> they buy, they yeah. buy like 33% back yeah. for yeah. X amount of dollars. <laughs> Warner Brothers Discovery buys yeah. them or Hulu yeah. buys Warner and then... <laughs> Hulu buys Warner Brothers Discovery. Uh, oh, that would be classic. Oh, the hunter becomes the hunted. <laughs> yeah. All right, Hamish, that's that's it. Should we move on? Yep, yep, yep. Let's Tell us. About, uh, we haven't got that. We haven't got that long left. So I'll just talk about SpaceX quite quickly. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> SpaceX and ULA win more Space Force launches. Remember when Space Force was just like I think Donald Trump announced it, and we were like, <laughs> Yeah, the name is so good. Yeah. And now, now it's now it's a real thing. Yeah. Um, so the U.S. Space Force assigned 21 rocket launches to SpaceX and United Launch Alliance worth about $2.5 billion in total. So Space Force's Space Systems Command on Tuesday announced the mission assignments, which re- repre- 
represent even, Hamish. They represent the last round of orders under a multi-year program called National Security Space Launch Phase 2. So, uh, sounds very convoluted. NSSL, the National Security Space Launch Phase 2, is essentially just uh, the US booking in launches so that they can assure that the US Department of Defense and more broadly just the US government always has access to space. They always have right. access to space launches that they need. Um, okay. So the bi- the final batch of assignments were split almost evenly, according to Colonel Doug Pentecost, uh, the Deputy Program Chief Executive Officer of the Space Forces Space Systems Command. ULA received 11 missions, valued at $1.3 billion. SpaceX received 10 missions, valued at $1.23 billion. Right. Space Systems Command said the missions are scheduled to launch over the next two to three years. Uh, ULA, a joint venture of Boeing and Lockheed Martin, will use its soon-to-debut Vulcan rocket for the 11 missions, while SpaceX will fly seven missions with its Falcon 9 rocket and three with its Falcon Heavy rocket, which is essentially just three Falcon 9s strapped together. <laughs> um, originally, Phase 2 was to consist of 34 missions, this NSSL Phase 2. It was originally going to consist of 34 missions. Space Force had previously announced uh, that of mission assignments, 60% would go to ULA, 40% to SpaceX, but increased demand for national security launches grew phase two, and Space Force has been assigned, uh, has assigned 48 missions over the course of the program. In the end, phase two will, uh, was closer to an even split with Elon Musk's company receiving contracts for 22 missions to ULA's 26 missions, or a 46 right. share to 54. So there you go. There you go. Big yeah, money, I, big money in space launch for the US yeah. government. Interesting. I, I don't I don't know too much about SpaceX and and how all, all of this works. Is the government is government contracts like most of their business or or yeah. they do this is just mostly that. And then they yeah. they obviously launch their own stuff, right? They have their they launch yep. like Starlink and that sort of thing. And then are there yep. is there other companies as well that that use their rockets to launch satellites and that sort of thing or not really? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so the way it works is, so SpaceX was on the brink and they got um, saved by NASA. They got funding from NASA. Right. And so that's, uh, initially their missions were, they were paid by NASA to send up, uh, resupply the International Space Station. Um, and then from there, with that money, they've kind of built out their business. They obviously now have the Falcon 9, which is a very reliable rocket. Yeah. Um, and that they essentially launch companies' satellites into space. They offer the launch service for companies that want to launch their satellites into space. Um, they have um, contracts with NASA continually to resupply the ISS. Right. And they also have um, government contracts, defense contracts um, to to launch military stuff. Um, mm. And then beyond that, <clears throat> you're, you're exactly right. Over the last couple of years, they've been focused on another arm of revenue generation to be a little bit more, you know, self-sustaining. And that is to use their launch capabilities to create a global satellite internet mm. business, which is right. Starlink. Yeah, interesting. Um, Are they like, yeah. I wonder like how, how do restrictions work for satellites? Cause they're just like, they're just orbiting. Right. So yeah. Who, I think who, um, who decides whether they could launch and like who owns the space and I mean I guess there's yeah. so much that there's so much room right so I guess it's yeah, not really oh, a yeah. problem like it's, no, it's not but would it eventually become a problem or is that just not a, a thing no probably not probably not there, there would just, never be a satellites aren't big enough yeah right nah, okay satellites just aren't big enough and mm, you you sense. think about the 
the circumference of the earth. Mm. Well, I mean, like the, the circumference. Area. Yeah, so yeah well, no, the c- circumference. And you think, uh, well, even th- you can think of just the radius, the radius from the center of the earth mm. to um, where we are on the earth's crust. And then you can even add a little bit more onto that because it's up in space. So they've actually got a, a bigger space to true, work with, true, no pun true. intended, than the actual surface of the Earth. Yeah, that makes sense, actually. So, of course. Yeah. Yeah, there's like an yeah. enormous surface area, way bigger than even the surface of the Earth. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Interesting. And there is not, you think, there's how many billions of people? Like, mm. most satellites these days aren't much bigger than a person with their arms out like that. Right, right. And, um, yeah, yeah and there's certainly sense. not 8 billion satellites out there. That is true. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the whole of star- people getting annoyed at Starlink because they're going to have like s- tens of thousands of satellites out there. They're not very big satellites, yeah. but they're going to have tens of thousands. And people were actually being like, oh, we're not going to be able to see the moon anymore. It's like, no, you idiot. <laughs> it's like you could put hundreds, of, you could put millions of these satellites that you're still going to be able to see the moon. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. So, I guess, yeah. So silly. Interesting. But, yeah. Right. So there you go. Wow. There you go. Um, yeah, sorry, a bit of a SpaceX tangent. I I find it very interesting. I, but yeah, to yeah. answer your question, like how do they, who owns the space? Like, I, I don't really know. Like, how does it work? Like, obviously you can't really, they can't do much about it. Like if the US just sends up satellites, the other countries can't really do much about it because how are they going to get it down? <laughs> it's like, That's true, yeah. Stop flying over the top of our country. Yeah, but like what's going to happen? All if, right, take if, the satellite down, go on. Yeah, mm. yeah. I mean, yeah. How could they even do anything? And but then, like, because yeah, space is one thing. What what if they actually go to Mars? Yeah. Like, is that just going to be like a claim? Claim the land? Like, are they going to be? Are they going to be fights over? <laughs> over who I think gets technically, what? Technically, there's like some treaty that says no oh, really? country owns any planets beyond like what they own on Earth. But yeah, right. it's like you know, if Elon Musk gets there first, it's like. Oh, I'm claiming this land is mine. Come stop me. <laughs> yeah. It's like it's interesting that the fundamental limiting factor is that they literally can't stop it. Like they don't have the capability to get to Mars. <laughs> like if yeah. Elon Musk gets there first, <laughs> then he could literally just chill out on Mars being like, Well, come on, come claim it. And no one will be able to reach him. Yeah, yeah. No one has the capability. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that is that is kind of funny. Yeah, it's like the it's like yeah. the country or the like the the nation that could build like the boat that could, or the ship that could finally go to some of these new lands. It was theirs, yeah. you know? <laughs> it was. Yeah. 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 Exactly right. Hamish. righty. Should we do a Q and a question or two? Yeah. Let's, uh, yeah. Let's see what we got here. Um, as a reminder, if you want to ask a question for Q and a, um, head to the most recent, uh, episode of the podcast on YouTube and drop us a comment or hit us up in the Spotify question box. Is that what it's called? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Just scroll cool. up in the app and uh, and ask your questions there. Um, okay. Well, uh, let's start at the top. Uh, did you guys ever mention your goals for investing, uh, goals at the start versus now? We haven't really spoken yeah. about that recently, I don't think. Um, no, I don't think so. For my investing, my goals originally were just to achieve financial freedom as soon as possible. That's what I wanted to do. And financial freedom for me, like, uh, I have all these ideas, like even with the YouTube channel, I got all these ideas that I want to try and explore. But I always, my brain somewhat pulls me back 
because I don't have, you know, my house paid off yet, you know, the car paid. So I wanted, I wanted to invest to try and accelerate myself to a position where I've, you know, I've got an apartment, I've got my house, I've got my car, all of the major things that you kind of need to tick off in life, I've kind of ticked them off so that anything beyond that, you know, I can experiment, I can try and build businesses, I can try and do this and that. And if I fail, it's not like shattering. Like it would suck, but it's not going to cripple me. Yeah. Um. And and it give and it would give me the opportunity to be able to, um, to take those risks and try different things with my life, things that I wanted to to try. Um. So that's kind of that was my goals, but now I'm I'm kind yeah. of more honestly like more more of my investing now is into this business more so mm. than say the stock market which is yeah. kind of funny because at the start I was investing in the stock market and over time I f- kind of feel like uh, you know like I'm uh, I don't know like an imposter like a, I'm not even practicing what I'm preaching anymore because for me I guess it's still <laughs> investing but yeah. I found it better to invest in my own business as opposed to the stock market yeah yeah no <laughs> it's it is weird well it is funny that cuz that that tends to happen i mean if you have a business then you know, usually it's it's a, a smaller business than the ones you're investing in, probably. So uh, the opportunities to invest and generate high returns are usually just going to be in your own business for, for a very long time. Um, mm. Just because there's just so many like growth levers that you can pull with with the money that you're kind of deploying. Um, so, mm. I mean, it kind of makes sense. Um, yeah, I don't know. Go- investing goals. I, I don't, I'm trying to think if I had any kind of specific goals when I started. I think I think once I kind of just realized like the power of compounding that you can just, if, as long as you're consistently putting in a little bit, very quickly, you can build quite substantial wealth. I think it just made logical sense to do it. Um, in terms of motivation, I think, uh, I think it's just a good idea to have, to have, to build wealth, to protect against the unknowns. Cause I think there's just so many things, especially if you've seen like family members or something go through some kind of like health problem that is like a sudden spike in expenses. Um, it, it just makes you like, I don't know. I think it's just a smart thing to do to just have, mm. uh, just to have, uh, or have a, have one of your major goals be to build wealth so that you can, you know, stomach those unexpected expenses that, you know, you don't really think about on a day to day, but they can just come up out of nowhere. So I think that was mm. probably my motivation. Um, and yeah, nothing's really changed all that much. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't. I can't really say. Like, I'm trying to think. Like, I don't think I have any like really strong goals. It's just it just made rational sense. Like, mm. uh, yeah, okay, just invest broadly into the market. I have some individual investments as well, but um, but you know, both of those are going at the same time, and it's just. I think it just. I don't know. It just makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> There's not really any like crazy goal. I don't. I'm not trying to retire yeah. early. I don't have like a fire. You know, financial independence, retire early. I, I don't. I'm not into that or anything. It's just you know having, you know, when I produce income, having somewhere to put it where it's, you know, most effectively um, being used rather than just all sitting in a savings account, um, you know, making sure Build it's your safety there. net. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. No, I like it. Yeah. I think it's interesting. We could probably get into this on a whole nother episode. Like the science, I don't know, goal setting, like everybody's like, yeah, goal setting is so important, so important. But I, I'm also in the camp of like, Goal setting sometimes just doesn't matter so much. No. I I think it works for some people. Like if you're like a lazy person that really struggles for motivation to do certain things, like you need to to have a goal. Like, okay, I I need to retire with this amount 
and I need to have that goal because otherwise I'm never going to get there and I need to break it down into short-term goals. But for me, I've never actually, because I'm naturally very driven and competitive and I want to excel in whatever I do, I don't actually need goals. Like I kind of know, I know where I'm going Yeah, and I, I know that I just need to, I know just naturally like what I need to do to get there. So yeah, I've, I've never found, I've never been a big goal setter. I I just think a lot of the time you set goals and it's not, the goal isn't something you can actually control. Like, Oh, I want to make this much money or I want to reach this, you know, milestone. You you can't control that. So, so I tend to focus on what you can control, which is the system, building systems, building, you know, the day to day of what you do, which will, you know, your like puts you on the path towards uh, the goal generally where you uh, want to be generally yeah. where you want to be because then you actually you know your your brain power is being used on making sure you're doing the day-to-day stuff rather than just kind of hoping for this goal and that's generally um what i do with everything um yeah like i have a structure that's for a how i point. have a structure for how i invest whether it's broadly or, or individual companies but i don't really have mm. any goals like like oh i want to yeah. hit this financial number that i hit this number in my account by this time because there's just who knows what's going to happen along the way um same with income. I don't really have income goals or anything yeah, like I that. Yeah. I just try and do the day-to-day stuff well. Yeah. And that's the same, like, not to drown on too much, like YouTubers are like, oh, how many subs do you want to have by ne- the end of next year? I'm like, yeah. I don't know. That's so out of my hands. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. I'd rather focus on how many videos am I going to make next year. Yeah. And, or the, like, and the quality of the videos and, like, you know, yeah. things that are within your control that will ultimately lead. Um, yeah. To those yeah. to those outcomes, yeah. Even things like trying to put numbers on stock, like the future of the stock market is unknown. Yeah. So to say, I want to have this amount of money by this age, it's like it's that's out of your control. If you're using the yeah. stock market, that you, you don't know. The stock market yeah. might give that to you. It might not. We don't know what the future holds. We know that yeah. generally over a long period of time, the stock market can help us build wealth, and I think yeah. that's as specific as you can kind of get. And if you get like an unexpected large expense and then you don't hit the goal that's not your fault like that yeah. doesn't like you'll you'll miss the goal and you'll feel like you did something wrong when you didn't like just as long as you were doing all of the things along the way right um that's more important you don't want to set something mm. that makes you feel like you missed it even though it you know something out of your control was the reason you didn't hit it which happens all the time um so yeah i'm yeah. not a, i'm not a big you know, I'm not a big goal guy, that's for sure. Maybe yeah. we'll have like a behavioral psychologist school us in the comments or something like this. But, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, that's that's our that's our washed opinion on goal setting, everybody. <laughs> yeah, don't worry, don't try. Don't even no, try. So you know, aim low and avoid disappointment, I say. <laughs> uh, all right, we're getting out of here, guys. Thanks very right. much for tuning in as always. <laughs> keep sending in your questions and we'll keep giving our washed opinions. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thanks always Hamish for joining me uh, no thanks guys for listening and hopefully you got some sort of value out of that <laughs> oh dear and we'll see you guys next week see you guys see you guys